We give God honor and we give him praise for allowing us to be here this morning. The one thing that I've learned is that I can't take anything for granted in this world. I thank God for his goodness. I thank God for you. Amen. For those of you who have not been here, we've been taking this journey through the book of John. We've been looking at it from an evangelical standpoint of us evangelizing this world in which we live in. Understand that those who have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been saved for a purpose. And God is working on our lives and in our lives that we might be able to affect the lives of those who are around us. And this has always been the mode of operating of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's always about us witnessing to others. So if you have your Bibles, open with me to the Gospel of John, the fourth chapter. And beginning at the 19th verse, and it reads this. And the woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. And we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Verse 25, the woman said unto him, I know know that the Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee, Am he. Last week we picked this up about this woman, this Samaritan woman. This woman who was of no consequence. This woman who was an outcast. This woman that had no right or legal right to be even speaking to Jesus. But yet we find that she's here with her baggage. And much in the same way, all of us come into Christ or come into the church with baggage. There's not one one person in here that is sin free. Every last one of us has our issues and situations that we deal with. Whether it's public or it's private. 
There, there, there's some stuff that people are struggling with in private, in silence. There are some folk that are suffering in silence. Won't say nothing to nobody. But what you can rest assured is that even though no one knows about it, God knows about it. And God wants to do something about it. Last week we took the title for this message. He looked beyond her faults and saw her need. This week we're going to look at he looked beyond her faults and saw her needs part two. It's good to know that God will look beyond our faults. But understand the fact that God does not want us to stay in that condition. The Bible tells us that God saves us, that he might be able to change our very lives. And God wants to change our lives. Because regardless to what you may think, the wages of sin is still death. And if you are living a life that is apart from God, you are really living a life unto death. Because sin will kill us dead. The effects of sin is death. It's just by the mercy of God, whereas God withholds the penalty for our sins from us. It's simply because of his mercy. His mercy is what tells us that, 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 that we don't get what we really deserve from God. Because as I said, God is holy, God is righteous, and we're not. The moment you start thinking that you're righteous and you, 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 you're so holy and so holy, 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 God will show you how far from you you really are. As a matter of fact, when we were in the third chapter, that was Nicodemus's problem, right? Nicodemus was as righteous as you could get. But yet he finds himself still far from God. And all of us find ourselves anywhere between Nicodemus and this woman at the well. Somewhere in between the two of them, all of us find ourselves there, whether you'll admit it or not. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none of us that are righteous, no, not one. So therefore, we stand before a righteous God. And what would be your response? Jesus deals with this woman at the well. He had no legal or, 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 or cultural reason for speaking with this woman. According to her testimony. Because Jesus meets this woman by divine appointment. He is there when she comes to get water, to get something that is needed to sustain her life. In much of the same way that God meets us at that place of need that we have. If you find your greatest need, you'll find God there. Because God's desire is to meet you at your need, not at your greed. He, he, he's here to give you the things that you need, not necessarily the things that you want. We got far many churches out here and far too many preachers out here preaching of you can get what you want from God. And that has never been a biblical doctrine in the Bible. But God has promised to supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. 
So he'll meet us at our need. And I don't know what your need is this morning, and I pray that it, it is the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, I can almost certainly tell you that's what your need is, the Lord Jesus Christ. Even if you don't even speak it out of your mouth, even if you don't acknowledge it, everybody in here needs the Lord Jesus Christ in their life. It does not matter what you feel about Scripture. God's word is true. And it has landed the test of time. It does not diminish. It is always effective. It is always applicable. If we would just apply it to our lives. It's been time tested. So here we see that Jesus encounters this woman. This woman is a Samaritan. And just to bring you up to speed, the Samaritans and the Jews did not get along. As a matter of fact, the Jews detested the Samaritans. They didn't want to have anything to do with Samaria. As a matter of fact, it, it, it's even odd that Jesus has decided to go through Samaria. Listen, this is the extent of it. They detested them so much that, that, that if you wanted to go from Jerusalem to Galilee, there was a, there was a route along the coast of the Jordan River that you could go that would take an additional day. And so that they would not come into contact with Samaritans, most Jews would take this longer route just so they wouldn't defile themselves by stepping on Samaritan land. But Jesus said that I must go through Samaria. Why? Because it was a divine appointment that he had with this woman at the well. Listen, listen, the importance of this woman at the well is the fact that Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah to her, and he did not do it for Nicodemus in chapter number three. It would seem that he would, he would have identified himself as the Messiah to Nicodemus, being that he was from Jerusalem, because he was a Jew. But in the fourth chapter, Jesus decides this poor woman, this woman who had been outcast, this woman who, who was a sinner, considered a sinner, Jesus reveals himself as being the Messiah. Which leads me to tell you that, that, that God wants to save everybody. The word of God is not exclusive to just one group of people. Listen here, the, 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 the salvation is not exclusive just to one denomination. You see, all this denomination came with man. Man, man made, made denominations. God calls the church his church. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church. He did not put Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, none of that before. He said, my church. And so here this woman who has been rejected, who has been an outcast, now stands before Jesus. Jesus asked her for a drink of water to provoke a conversation between the two. And she most notably said, why are you speaking with me, Jesus? 
you being a Jew and me being a Samaritan, we, we, we're not even supposed to be communicating. But here's the evangelistic part of this. Because we pick and choose who we want to evangelize. We, we, we pick and choose the neighborhoods that we want to go in and share the gospel with. But understand that Jesus is in the heart of the ghetto. He, he's in the heart of, of people who really don't regard him, really don't really understand him. But yet he's there. And so what is our problem? Would we think only people who are affluent need the Lord Jesus Christ? No, it's those that have been broken. Those who are standing, waiting on someone to help them. Those are the ones we need to be taking the gospel message to. But we spend so much time, you know, catering to those who, 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 who have a lot. But listen, I'm not negating that because even rich folk need, need Jesus. From rich to poor, they all need, we all need Jesus. And he's the answer to our problems. He's the need that we have. Jesus looks beyond all of her faults. The fault that she is a Samaritan, the fault that she is a woman, the fault that she has had five husbands, the fault that she's living in adultery right now, he looks beyond it. But listen here, let me tell you something. Jesus does not just look beyond it. Jesus deals with her circumstance and her situation. Jesus did not save you or me for us to stay in our same sinful condition. You see, because there, there is no salvation without repentance. Repentance means that you've changed the way you view things. You've changed your mindset. You no longer view, view sin like you used to view it. Now you look to Jesus. Because he's going to become the author and the finisher of your faith. Everything that we do, we must look to Christ. We must look to his word. Because that's where we'll find the answer. That's where we'll find salvation is in his word. Far too many times we look so many other places. Too many other things that we look for salvation in. We look, we, we look for the government to come and solve our problems for us. Well, the government is full of a bunch of crooks. And I know you say, so is the church. Might as well just tell the truth. There are a lot of crooks in the church. But the spirit of the living God is in the church. He is what directs the church. He is the one that convicts us and lets us know that we're wrong. And I, I, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm just not, I'm, listen, I'm not pleased with the political landscape as we stand in right now. I think both of our parties are just jacked up. Both of them messed up. Both of them have problems. That's why it's a good thing for you to turn to God. Turn to his word. So, so, so he deals with this woman and her need. 
Her need is that she needs to come out of this sinful lifestyle. She's been woefully unsuccessful at marriage. She's had five husbands. And the one that she's living with is not a husband. And I know, I, I look at it, I don't know what, what, what's going on in her head. Perhaps she's saying, well, listen, I done failed five times. I'm not trying to fail six times. So, so, so maybe that's what's contributing to her living with this husband. But understand, your experience does not supersede the word of God. Just because you experience something does not mean that it supersedes what God's word said for your life. Because God's word is true and is sufficient. In, the, in, the, in this text, Jesus deals with her sin. He deals with her sin because now he's going to introduce her to what real worship is about. In other words, before you can worship God, you must deal with the sin in our lives. Far too many people come in here and raise their hand and worship God and live out, leave out of here and live just like you've always been living. But here Jesus is coming and he's coming to destroy that notion because the notion is, is that this is the only place where we can worship God is right here. But look what Jesus said. This woman comes broken to Jesus. After dealing with her sin in verse number 19, it says, And the woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Now, 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 earlier in the text, she referred to him as a Jew. Now she sees him as a prophet. Why? Because he has told her something that she has no, no conversation with him about. He's read her life for her. And the reason why Jesus can do that is because Jesus knows the heart of every last one of us. He, he knows exactly what you're thinking right now. He knows exactly what's going on. You don't even have to open your mouth. God knows. That, that, that's why we have to stop being so quick to judge folk. Because we don't know, really know what people are going through. We don't know what the circumstance and the situation is. But all we can do is offer them Jesus. We can point them to the Christ, the one who can do something about their problem. Listen, because I cannot fix your problem. Money can't fix your problem. People on this earth cannot fix your problem. Christ is the only one that can fix your problem. So this woman said, you, you, you've told me about myself. You know, you already told me about myself. And I can't deny it. But just like anybody else, when, you, when you're evangelizing and you start hitting on truths, they try to deflect. And this woman is no different. This is, this, this is an opportunity for her to deflect. Look at verse 20. She changes it from dealing with her sin to dealing with worship. Jesus is like, listen, you're getting ahead of yourself. We got to deal with the sin first. But look at, look at this attempt. He said, she said, our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So how do we get to worship? Jesus, listen, if you think this is going to work with Jesus, it does not work with him. As a matter of fact, Jesus goes back and tells her, you don't really know what you're talking about. I'm paraphrasing. It's kind of like what he's saying. Look at verse number 21. It says, Jesus said unto her, he says, woman, believe me, the hour cometh 
when ye shall neither in this mountain nor at Jerusalem worship the, fa the Father. Okay, so what does he mean here? Jesus is telling them that worship is not going to be restricted to a geographical location. You see, because you think that because you come in here on Sunday and you sing worship songs, you lift your hands and you worship God, that your worship is done once you walk outside of these doors. But what Jesus is really is saying is that you will live a life of worship unto me. As a matter of fact, everywhere you go, you will worship me. Everywhere you go, you'll lift up holy hands unto me and praise me. Everywhere you go, you'll give me honor and you'll give me praise. This is what Jesus is saying. It's not just restricted to the church. You feel like you've given God, after God has given us all that he's given us, you feel like a couple hours on a week on Sunday is enough worship for God? No, 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 no. We live a lifestyle of worship. My, my, my life is filled with worship. I, I, I try to live a life that is honorable to God. That, 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 that's why I'm careful how I speak and handle people. Because I realize that I'm still in a spirit of worship even when I'm outside of this church. When I'm on my job, I'm worshiping God. When I'm in my home, in my communities, I'm worshiping God. And I never want to miss an opportunity to give God worship. You see, you see, because, because worship denotes the worthiness of God, of our praise. That's what it is. Worthy is the Lamb of God. And he's worthy of all of our praises. If you wish it, worship God. You ought to live like you worship God. Because this here ain't enough for me. So, so Sunday mornings with God ain't enough for me. I need that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday worship. That's what I need. Because the reality of it is, is that I cannot live this life effectively unless I live it in a spirit of worship. Listen here, Jesus tells us, he said, and he spoke, he's speaking to the, to the Samaritans. He said, ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Now understand that this, 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 this statement that Jesus makes is one of prophetic. It's a fulfillment of the prophecy. It's a fulfillment that the, that, that the savior of the world would come through the Jewish race. This was a promise that was made to Abraham. That because of the promise God made to him, that the entire world would be blessed. So in other words, the mere fact that I'm standing here talking to you of Samaritan descent is a, based on the promise that I made to Abraham a thousand years ago. The fact that you're saved today is based upon the promise that was made to Abraham. It had, it had come through Abraham's seed. And salvation at that time was of the Jews. As a matter of fact, if you were a Gentile and you wanted to, to join the Jewish race, you had to convert over to Judaism. 
even as a Gentile. Well, now Jesus is opening it up. He's opening it up. He said, no, 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 no. It's not just to the Jews. It's to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. And the reason why is because the Jews rejected it. They rejected Jesus Christ. And it opened up a door for us to walk in. Jesus opened up that door at Calvary's cross when he died for our sins, was buried and rose from the dead. He opened the door for us to come in. Jesus is speaking prophetically here. There's going to come a time. There's going to come a time when all people will be able to come and drink from the well. All of us will experience eternal life. It ain't just for you pompous, stuck-up, uppity Jews no more. It's going to be for everybody. Because the Jews turned up their nose to him. It opened the door for us to have salvation. He said, but the hour cometh, and now is. In other words, beginning right now. The hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Here we see that he said that we're going to worship on two fronts. In spirit because of who he is. The Bible says that God is a spirit. So we worship him in spirit. In other words, we worship him from the innermost parts of our very being. It's because of who he is. And the second reason we we worship him is in truth. It's the truth of God's word. The Bible declares thy word is true. That's on our behalf. That's us aligning ourselves with the word of God. God will never change. He'll always remain the same. He's always there for us if we will just repent and turn to him. But it's the truth portion that a lot of folk have a problem with. Because they want to call into question the validity of Jesus Christ and his his sacrificial death upon the cross. They call into question the word of God. But I understand, and and as I read the word of God, as I digest the word of God, as I begin to look at the prophecies that have been spoken through the word of God, And then I begin to look at the world and how it has been fulfilled. Every promise that uh, prophecy that they prophesied came to pass concerning Jesus Christ. Jesus fulfilled every prophecy. He was born where they told him he would be born at. He was born in the like manner that they told he would. He died the death. He lived the life. He died the death. Everything was, was was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So what's the problem? What's keeping you from believing? You see, because really that's what it really comes down to. And I I, I, I don't know, maybe maybe you think that there's something that you need to do or you need to contribute to this. There's absolutely nothing you can do or contribute to your salvation. Listen here, I'm going to get in trouble right here. Listen here. You don't even have to come to church to be saved. Hello, somebody. 
No, 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 listen, I'm not telling you to say it. So you can sit at home, say, Pastor Martin, say, I don't have to come to church. It's not what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is that the essence of your salvation is not based upon any type of work that you do. And that includes coming to church. But here's the, here's, here's, here's the good news about it. Because I'm saved. Because God decided. It's his decision. Because God decided to save me. Because he decided to change my life and to open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings to me. Because he decided to, to, to put my, my feet on a solid foundation. I feel compelled to come out to the house of worship. You see, you see because that, 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 that's the least that I can do for God. After all that he's done for me, God, that's the least that I can do for you, God. Not only that, not only do I, when I come into the house of worship and I worship him and I praise him, all of us can do that. What do we do when we step outside of these four walls? Can, can you still have that same intensity? Can you still have that same fight to praise God, to worship him? Outside of church, there's a lot of folk that come in the church house and play church. But when we really see who the church really is, is when, is when, is when trouble works. When trouble comes. When trouble arises in our lives. Can, can, can you still stay committed to what you told God? Can, can, can you still stay on the battlefield? Can, can, can you still keep that, that high level of love that you have for God? He said, he said, listen here, not only will the true worshipers come and worship God in spirit and truth, but here he said that the Father is looking for folk like that. He, he, he's looking for people who are going to worship him no matter what. I don't care what the circumstance is. I don't care what the problems and the situation I'm going to work. God is looking and he's seeking for them to worship him. Here, 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 we're talking about, you know, the, you're talking about the army's talking about looking for a few good men. God, 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 God is looking for a few good saints that, that, that will worship him no matter what. That will worship him through the pain, the circumstances, the situations. Because it's perhaps one of the best times that praise God is when it just don't make sense to do so. That's one of the best times to do it. When folks when folk say you ought to be crying and in mourning, you can worship God when you can praise God in the midst of your pain. Listen, this woman at the well was dealing with something I don't even believe she knew she was dealing with. But Jesus knowing her heart Begin to speak to her heart. Begin to tug at her heart. And we get a lesson in evangelism from him. It's not about telling people, hey, you ain't seeing you. No, it's about speaking to the hearts of people. In other words, when we evangelize it, evangelize it you can't go too far too quick. 
Sometimes you got to settle down, slow it down. There's some stuff that you need to talk through with them. Don't, don't, don't condemn them. Begin to live and give your testimony. Listen here, because that's what this woman did. We'll cover that next week. She went back and told them, the people, which tells us what? That God saves our lives for that purpose of going and sharing it with someone else. Far too many, including myself. I had to repent. We're settled with just God saving me. I, 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 I had no reason. I had no desire to share it with anybody else. Until God began to deal with my heart. God began to show me that there are people who are dying in their sins. And on their way to hell. I know y'all don't want to hear that. But that's the Bible. There are consequences for us not obeying God's word. And we must deal with the sin just as Jesus deals with her sin. So before you can even get to worship, you got to deal with your sin. He said, hey, listen here. Verse number 24. He said, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In truth of God's word. We worship him. It's the spirit of us that's saved. And I know you think it's the body that's saved. No, this body is going to go back to the dust. But the spirit is the only thing that you have that's going to live forever. It, 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 it is the God DNA that's in us. And if you keep rejecting what God has given, which is his son, then you're left to account for your sin on your own. Every last one of us are going to stand before God in judgment. Every last one of us. Every last one of us are going to have to give an account for what we've done in this body. You see, because when, when, when I sin and, and Satan goes and accuses me before the Father, Jesus said, yeah, but I died for that sin. He accepted me as his Savior. However, when the unsaved person sinned, what is they going to be your excuse? Can you claim the same thing? Because Jesus will be silent. It's only those who have come to him by faith. Those who have trusted him. Those who have said, listen, yes, I agree with you, God. I am a sinner undone. And it's by no real, uh, you know, fault of just myself. I was born in, into sin. I was shaped in iniquity. But there comes a point in time that after we've been born into sin, we all we consciously choose to sin. You have a choice. And we will make the conscious choice to disobey God. We make a conscious choice to sin against God. And this is what he wants to deal with. Before I can give you what you need, I got to get rid of what you had. Did, 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 did you get that? 
I got to do away with that past. I got to deal with the, 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 those old way of living. I, I got to do away with it before I can really give you what you really need. Yeah, Jesus looked beyond our faults, but he ain't going beyond them. He's going to deal with those faults. He's going to deal with that sin in our lives. And listen, let me tell you something. You, about, you ought to be excited that he does. Listen, I, and there's no way that I would want to live a life continually in sin, knowing that it's going to bring forth death. Who does that? Listen, and I think that the reason why is because, because most of us don't believe that. Most of us don't believe that. That, that, that sin brings forth death. What, 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 what explanation do we have for death then? There's no other explanation for it. It's got to be something negative. Because death is negative. But God is positive. And God can come and, and, and erase all the negative in your life and, and, and make you a positive person for him. You get on the right side of the ledger. Stop standing over there in sin. Let God do something with you. Well, apparently it began to work with this woman. Because this woman now expresses to Jesus what little of Judaism she knows. Verse 25 says, the woman said unto him, I know that the Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. And when he is come, he will tell us all things. Now, there's a lot here that he, she says here. Number one, she said that we know that the Messiah is coming. Messiah means the anointed one. And in Christ, the Christ is the same thing. It is the anointed one. It is the one that has come to remove the sins of the world. She has knowledge of the Messiah. She knows that he's going to come. The reality of it is that she didn't know he was going to come through the Jews. But she said, she said that when he comes, he's not just coming just to, you know, I mean, be here like the rest of us. He's coming that he might be able to guide us. That he might be able to lead us in all truth. Jesus said unto her, verse 26, Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. As I begin to study this, the word he is not in the original text. What he's saying is that I that speak to you uh, unto thee am. Am is God. It's a word for God. When he asked, when Moses said, who should I send? When he went to Egypt. He said, tell him, I am sent you. Jesus here is proclaiming his deity before this woman. He's letting her, not only am I just the Messiah, but I am God all by myself. I am that I am. You see, because it takes more than just a mere man to save and die for the sins of humanity. It takes someone who is holy, someone who is righteous, someone who is unspotted, someone who is sinless. And that was Jesus Christ. He was sinless before this world. He gave his life for the sins of the world. He suffered blood and died on the 
across Calvary over 2,000 years ago. He gave his life for us. When I was sick in sin, when I couldn't see my way, in due season, Christ came down through 42 generations. Came down wrapped in, a, in, a, in, a, in the swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Lived a sinless life. Went on to Calvary. They beat him. They whipped him. They nailed him to a cross. He died upon that cross for you and for me. He gave his life for us. When it shouldn't have been you, when it shouldn't have been me, he gave his life. He sacrificed his life for us. Good news is that he didn't stay dead. He was buried in the tomb. And on the third day, he rose with all power in his hand. There's an awesome price that was paid for God to give us what we stand in need of. What we stand in need of is eternal life. Eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He wants you to receive him, to accept him as Lord and Savior. Here's the other good news. The Bible said that he ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand side of the Father making intercession for us. In other words, Jesus is praying for us. He's praying for us. But he's coming back again. And this is the critical part for you. If you have not been saved, you have not given God your life. God has come. He came to give his life as a ransom. The next time he's coming, he's coming in judgment. He's going to judge this world. And it's imperative before you leave here, before you leave earth, you need to make sure that you have accepted him as your Lord and your Savior. And I'm talking about for real, for real. I ain't talking about this intellectual accepting him in your head. I'm talking about in your heart where it produces a change in your life. That's what God did for this woman. He changed her very life. He changed her life. He changed her testimony. He changed everything about her. That's what he wants to do in your life. That's what he desires to do in your life. Please stand to your feet. The door to the church is open. If you don't know Jesus in the pardon of your sin, if you don't know him, and I mean know him. I'm not talking about just the intellectual knowledge of him. I'm talking about knowing him to the point to where he creates a new life. You're not the same person that you used to be. We'll see in the text on, on the next time that this woman's life was changed forever. We have a right and a responsibility as a church to introduce people to Jesus. Is there one? Is there one? My pain. Is there one? Amen, amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord.